Welcome to the Tapping Into podcast with Sarah Tobin. That's me. I've created this podcast to help you discover and tap into spiritual, alternative and natural practices that could really change your life. I've been on a spiritual journey my whole life and I'm now an EFT or tapping practitioner. In this podcast, I have honest conversations on topics that I hope will deepen your soul connection, allow you to reclaim your power and confidence, know that you're not alone and feel inspired to find out more. I really hope this helps you on your journey. Welcome to episode two. Today, we're exploring the power of the mind with a fascinating journey by an equally fascinating guy, Leith Hampshire. Let's dive straight into this as he tells this story way better than I could. Make sure to listen to the end as he share an update on his health that he just had a few weeks ago too. Welcome Leith to the podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I'm super happy to be here. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, when I heard about your story, it just sat with me for quite some time and I just thought it's bloody miraculous really. So I wanted to to talk to you about how, how you went through what you did and I'll get you to kind of go there in a second. But, you know, it's very, very inspirational and I'm sure your story will help hundreds of thousands of people over the next kind of the your life ahead of you. Um, so you are what age are you now you don't mind me asking <laughs> what age am i i just yeah. turned tw- i'm 24 you're 24 okay so gosh not long ago then you you were obviously a very fit and active young man and you had a background in climate change i believe and then you had an absolutely massive life-altering experience mm. can you tell me and our listeners um what happened sure yeah firstly thank you so much for the kind introduction (laughs) and i feel like when i say my age uh it feels young because i feel like i've lived many lives yeah i've been here a few times before but indefinitely in this human form i'm 24 years of age and so um i'm gonna take us back to october 2019 which you know seems like a lifetime ago yeah just due to the last year that we've all been through on a global scale uh and so october 2019 on october the 13th it was a sunday i just landed an opportunity to work with the european union once again i'd done previous work with them uh, all around climate change and getting young people really involved with taking climate action sustainability work and that's something that was a big passion of mine uh, i've always had a green heart as i like to say a mm-hmm. uh, part of me has always felt very drawn to looking after the environment around us uh, and definitely over the last year i've started to realize why um, but we'll go into that shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, but on Sunday, the 13th of October, um, I traveled to Budapest because uh, I was about to start a new project with the European Union. Mm-hmm. And it was a Sunday morning and there was an event on. Uh, the event was a football match. It was a bit of a me- mix and networker for some of the new cohort of uh, individuals and workers who were coming to partake in this project. And my memory is a bit distorted um, from the early hours of this morning. Um, but the last things that I do remember were arriving to this football match, um, warming up with the people that I just met 
And all I remember was a moment where I turned around, uh, I headed towards the bathroom and I fell to the floor. And I woke up seven days later. And what happened to me was, from what I've heard, as I dropped to the floor, I started to have a fit, uncontrollable shaking. Bearing in mind up until this point, I had no prior health conditions. I had no symptoms. I had no hereditary dialogue of anything interrelated to what Mm. happened to me in my family. And so I dropped to the floor and I started having a fit. Thanks to the angels or whoever's in charge in this world. (laughs) I looked to my um, very close near me. There was a paramedic who quickly ran over to me. Wow. And this paramedic started to do a couple of tests and without really knowing what was going on, um, he assumed that I was having an asthma attack. And he started to call the ambulance because I went from uncontrollably fitting to completely blacked out. He called the ambulance, ambulance came. They put me in the back of an ambulance. During this moment in time, um, people were trying to get hold of my family. Obviously, I traveled to Budapest all by myself. And they've been trying to navigate my brothers, my sisters, my mother, trying to tell them that this is this thing has happened to Leif. He's dropped to the floor. He has no prior medical conditions and no one knows what's happening to him. Right. You can imagine how much this not only shocked the very close world around me, but also shocked my family and some of my very close friends. Ooh. What happened was, I was uh, as I was in the ambulance, um, they took me towards the hospital. And in the ambulance, there was a doctor who started to do some more checks on me. They realized that I wasn't having an asthma attack and they started to see high levels of blood being formed in my brain and my blood in my brain was causing my brain to shut down and I was going into a state of pretty much a comic state where your body pretty much says I've had enough goodbye and what happened here is the doctor then quickly rerouted the ambulance to a very special hospital something you couldn't write, um, was one of the leading neurosurgery hospitals in Europe, which is based in Budapest. Uh, I I have shivers. (laughs) (laughs) They had called up the hospital and they'd said, we've got a young man here um, whose brain is filling with blood, who's unconscious completely and is in need of some serious support. And so they rushed me to the hospital And within moments, I was in the operating theater. And what they were doing is they started to clear the blood from my brain. What happened? (laughs) Why why was my brain filling with blood? And the answer to that question is I suffered a ruptured aneurysm in my basilar artery, which is in the rear cortex of my brain. And an aneurysm is a bulge where pretty much the blood formulates into kind of like a ulcer in your mouth but in your brain yeah filled with blood and so what happened was that ulcer was a ticking time bomb where i had no prior notice that was in my head i had no idea even what a basilia artery even was (laughs) and at this moment in time at that exact moment it burst which caused intense fluid to flood to my brain and that's why i ended up in the hospital And the doctors looking at me said, you've got a grade five subarachnoid hemorrhage. You're 23 years old and there's a 90% mortality rate. Oh my goodness. And they had to have a conversation with my mother 
who just spent probably over 500 pounds to get the nearest flight to Budapest, the next flight to Budapest, out of Gatwick Airport, to then be by my side. The moment she arrived to the hospital, she had to sign the paperwork that said, your son's about to go into the operating theater. We're gonna do our best, but we are not liable for his death. And you can only imagine the feeling that my mum had to go through. Because they asked her, would you like us to do this? And she said, do you know what? If you've got a, the slightest chance mm. that you can save his life, then yes. Yeah. What happened in the following 48 hours is I had to have three subsequent operations, one to drain the blood from my brain, one to try and stop the bleeding by inserting a four centimeter metal coil to tighten the to tighten the aneurysm that had been ruptured to stop it bleeding. I came out of that initial operation and it was still bleeding. Yeah. And this is where by this point, quite a lot of my family had arrived to the hospital. Mm. And I think the power of prayer was really keeping me alive now. Mm. And after that happened, I had to go back into the operating theater and they had to insert a small metal tube inside of my artery to help the flow of blood because the coil hadn't really worked. I was after these operations deep in a comic state. At this point, there was still blood being taken out my brain. And I was, I don't know if you've seen any of the photos, but my sister called me the Iron Man because I had a tube coming out of every orifice that you can imagine, not only feeding me, not only sorting me out, but keeping me alive. And I was hooked up with about 15 different cables from head to toe to different machines that were making sure that I didn't pass to the other side. Wow. Seven days later, during this, during this time, these days, I had, by the grace of God, or whoever's in charge, people flying in, best friends, family, all to be around me in the hospital bed. And at this point, I had I was completely unconscious to the world. I had absolutely no idea what was going on. I like to laugh and tell myself I really just needed quite a big nap. Mm -hmm. And this was the best way to get it. Just a bit of time out. <laughs> just a bit of time out. Exactly. A bit of a breather, to be honest. Wow. Uh, and so after seven days, um, against quite a lot of odds, because the doctors thought I'd be in a comic state for anywhere between 14 to 28 days. And that's what my family were preparing for, to not really see me wake up anytime soon. Mm -hmm. I then woke up on day seven on Sunday, the 20th of October, I woke up, I opened my eyes, and I just remember seeing my sisters and my mum and the closest people in the world to me. And the feeling of being with these people, and I, all I remember was telling myself that no matter what I'd achieved in that lifetime, and no matter what I'd accomplished, that the fundamental most important thing was the love of those people around me in that moment nothing else matters to me nothing right. else matters than the connection and relationship you have with those that you love the most because fundamentally their tangible love at that point was 100 percent. yeah like a, a really close bond but something which i've never it's 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 i've never really known true true connection till mm. the, to the to that moment where it stemmed from a place where I was in deep presence and I was scared shitless 
to say the least as well because I had just woken up and when the brain had filled with blood it caused receptors in the left hemisphere of my brain to stop firing which causes a stroke Mm -hmm. and so I suffered a stroke to the right side of my body so when I'd woken up in a hospital in absolute agony in my head I couldn't feel the entire right side of my body. I can't explain the feeling of fear because words can't mm. words can't contemplate what that felt like for me. Yeah. To be an individual who was an active fella, to be in a moment where I couldn't feel half of my human carrier, yeah. and for a doctor to be standing over me saying, you're lucky to be here, and we're unsure if your feeling will ever come back. And so fundamentally that was the event that truly changed my life. (laughs) And I'd spent the following four weeks inside this ICU unit in Budapest, keeping me alive, going through intense um, basic physio and rehab to help me regain cognitive function, basic mobility. And all I remember was around November the 20th, about a month later, um, I got uh, taken back from Budapest to a London hospital, Queen's Square, London hospital, where I was shortly after discharged at the end of 2019. Wow. Crikey. That is one story and experience that I'm sure so many people could know get get nowhere near to relating to like you know it's so mad almost um how like what was going through your mind during those four weeks in the hospital like I'm assuming you obviously was there some form of gratitude that you were in that particular hospital like if you'd been in you know up north say nowhere near central (laughs) London or or in any other country, you know, what, anything could have happened there. You know, I, I remind myself that if it had happened mm-hmm. an hour earlier while I was in the bathroom of the hotel, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here right now. If it had happened the night before during my sleep, I wouldn't be here right oh, now. Oh my gosh. And we can't, you know, life is sometimes by design and we think that things are unexpected and fundamentally there's a there's a beautiful design that is always unfolding mm. and there's something really magical about this universe which we're all experiencing which unsure if we'll ever be able to truly understand what's going on but you know you couldn't have written it and when I'd woken up immediately I was stuck with a lot of fear um I was probably one of the worst places I've ever been mentally yeah uh, at that point in time um there was nights I cried a lot. Um, I didn't want to believe it. I wanted to leave the hospital. I remember crying to my mum and my sister saying, get me out of here, get me out of here. Why am I here? Why am I here? I want to go home. I want to go home. And I'm not being able to move, not being able to move out of the bed. And so it's interesting. Kind of, um, a lack of acceptance at the beginning, kind of probably state of shock. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, a real... A lack of presence, a lack of acceptance, a want mm-hmm. for control. Yeah. It was interesting because 
following that became one of the biggest transformations that I've ever been through in my entire life. And I started to let go and I started to accept. Mm. And it was really profound because my parents split when I was three years old, um, when I was really young. Um, my mom, my father left my mother and my father left, um, had a new family and he moved back to the Middle East. Um, and they've, you know, they've had a disjointed relationship over the years, um, but me and my older sisters have the same mother and father. Mm-hmm. My father had flown in um, from Iraq to be by my side. Yeah. And for the first time, my mum, both my sisters, my dad and me were in the same room for 22 years. Yeah. And it's crazy how sometimes the biggest crises in our lives can bring together those that need the most. And I just remember my dad, um, super wise man, I'm so grateful for his presence. And he was standing over me. And at this point, I had real no feeling to most of my body. And I remember him just saying, Laith, I want you to dream your wildest dreams. I was like, dad, what do you mean? He was like, where you're at right now is not where you're going to end up. He said, I want you to visualize in your mind you doing all the things that you love to do. I want you to imagine yourself running, swimming, climbing, being with friends, walking on beaches. He said, I don't want you to just think it. I want you to feel it. I want you to close your eyes at night and feel and envision all the things that you want to do. In my very drugged up states, due to all the pain that I was in, I spent hours, eyes closed in an ICU ward, dreaming of doing things that I would have loved to do. Fundamentally, I don't know whether you can pinpoint the science to how that supported my recovery, but the fact that I went from near to no mobility on the right side of my body, to being on a Zimmer frame, to being with crutches, to then walking within the space of three and a half weeks is something the doctors had never ever seen before in the history of stroke recovery. Oh my goodness. And whether that is because I fundamentally believed something and I was never gonna accept a reality where I wasn't moving again, where I wasn't running and playing and climbing and doing all the things that I loved again Mm -hmm. and actually being able to feel and be with my body and share love and actually close my eyes and I would dream I wouldn't even dream it was beyond dreaming I was becoming the person that I wanted to become and I'm sure if you were to look at what was going on in my brain I was tricking my brain to believe I was doing these things and therefore reprogramming the neurological networks in my head to be able to not only make a recovery, but far excel the recovery journey and condense it into a really short period of time. Oh gosh, I I know the stat or the fact that the brain doesn't know the difference between real and imagined, but that you've, what you've described is almost just taking it beyond beyond that you consciously 
use visualization to reprogram your body into remembering what it used to do. It's incredible. Mm. Mm. It was definitely a journey. And, and how did you find the strength for that? Can I ask? <laughs> like, was there not moments of like, sod this? <laughs> you know, I get, yeah, you know, I am. Um, yeah, it's a really good one. It's a really good one. And it's funny because I've been working, um, it sounds crazy, but I feel like I've been working towards this for many years. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I'd, I'd, from a very young age, I dived into things like personal development. Uh, I remember the first real book I read about this was when I was 16, I read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And that really allowed me to just be like, what, what, like what? We're in a really, really fantastic, interesting place where <laughs> we start to change our thoughts. We can start to change the things around us. Um, when I was a very young um, boy, I started to explore literature around manifesting. I remember reading The Secret. No. Um, I've got a mother who um, has been very interested in this world of mindset uh, herself and that definitely trickled down and I started to really put some things into practice and over the years um, whilst I was at uni um, I did lots of business stuff I ran projects I did lots of work um, all around developing my mindset. I was really addicted to personal development and understanding how I could not only develop my mind, um, but gain control of my thoughts. And there's one thing knowing that stuff yes. um, in the yeah. brain, mm -hmm. and there's one thing actually becoming that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I always laugh to myself and I say, do you know what? I probably asked for it because I was going <laughs> about all my, all my life preaching all this stuff about mindset and you know react changing your reality and the universe goes do you know what Lee? let's see what you've got let's put it into practice <laughs> let's see what you've got let's can you walk the walk <laughs> yeah can you can you walk can you walk the walk, walk? The walk literally <laughs> literally relearn um, to walk and literally and so you know, don't get me wrong, there was nights in the hospital bed where yeah. pain eroded me and tears streamed down my face and high levels of despair. Even after I started to walk again, I've had a very, it was very, you know, I'd have still dealing with low levels of um, recovery trauma, even a year and a half later. Mm. No way near as much as I was back then. Um, but all I knew was that I was telling myself, as long as I can make one more step today, one more percent today in regards to my body, in regards to my mobility, in regards to my mind, that's enough. Because I was surrounded by people who were believing in me more than I believed in myself at that point. And once again, I had been cultivating relationships for many years with incredible other human beings completely unconditionally in a way that when I was in my time of need, they were around me. And even on the day where I wasn't feeling up for it, I had one of my best friends telling me, come on, Leigh, you can do this. We're gonna, oh, yeah. we're gonna go, we're gonna go cycle together soon. We're gonna go back to our hiking trips. <laughs> Another friend telling me, you know, I can't wait to be chilling on the beach with you again. Or, or we're gonna go to the party that we used to go to. We're gonna be dancing again together. And it was that energy and that Gosh. connection that I had with those individuals 
and my family, who even in the times that I was like, this is really hard. They were looking me in the eyes and like, telling me, you can do this, bro. You have the power in your mind because they wanted it for me as well. So they were putting fuel on my fire. It's like you've called in this kind of support network before the event even took place. <laughs> They're your soul family yes. gathering. <laughs> family of light. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and, and you sound really spiritual. Um, now, did we? You obviously were were there a little bit beforehand, but was this like an awakening for you? Like, to, mm. tell me how this. I mean, do you remember anything from the seven days not being mm. present? So it's a really good one. And it's something which very recently I've started to explore um, because there was periods when I was in a coma and I was drifting in and out of, you know, you're in a deep state of meditation um, and you're not asleep you know, when you're meditating, mm -hmm. if you meditate for long enough, you go into, I don't know the top of my head, it's a certain frequency, I think it might be gamma, um, or yep. beta wave, where you're vibrating, and you're not awake, but you're not asleep, and you're in that, that state, and I remember when I was heavily induced on drugs, um, just due to deal with the pain, uh, what would be happening was I would come out and back in again, and out and back in again. And I had some pretty trippy experiences mm. where I started to imagine different things inside of the hospital, conversations that were potentially not happening, conversations that might have been happening, but not where I was. Around you, and, yeah, yeah. And different, really different things that whether the mind was playing tricks or during this period of deep comic state my body was starting to potentially transcend time and space mm. i can't scientifically prove any of that nor do i have great recollection but yeah. i've been doing a lot of research around um the idea of near-death experiences yes yeah i've read a good few books myself yeah yeah <laughs> and so I, I i've i've started to potentially validate some of my experiences yeah um and, and kind of give them a bit of scientific context um but you know i i yeah, I try and I, I don't worry about entertaining them too much because it's something which is, is still so long ago now. Um, and it's really out of, really out of um, my own mental capacity to, but it's, you know, I like to entertain. I like to entertain the, the concept. You like to visualize. Yeah. Yeah. I like to visualize. Like yeah. Play in the mind. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the, the near death stuff's just fascinating, isn't it? Like people being greeted by either familiar mm -hmm. faces or unfamiliar beings or just an energy of love and light and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, did you feel safe in, in that space? I had no, I had no recollection of right, okay. when I was truly out. Um, yeah. I, I felt actually at the other end of the spectrum when I started to come back. Yes. And yes, I feel yeah. this was correlated to the fact that I was, because of the severity of what I experienced to my brain, I was in a coma that was medically supported. So okay, okay. 
I was so drugged that that was keeping me asleep. And if we talk about the interrelationship between kind of the spirit chakra or the, the crown that we have and that mm-hmm. connection to the consciousness um, with very hard drugs uh, in a medical setting, it really cuts off that connection. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And it actually starts, it sends different signals in our body. So um, I felt I was really was kind of just blacked out in a sense yeah. Um, yeah. instead of near death. Yes, I suppose that other other near death experiences may not be so drug induced. I suppose, and and yeah, it's different experiences for them. Yeah, that makes sense. So, okay, so it's, you're you're back now in London, and you've had this incredible life changing experience, and you're working hard every day on your mindset and your physical body. Um, uh, did they actually support you me- mentally while you were in the hospital, or, or was it just all physical? Mm. Sorry, I was just jumped in with another question there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's a good one. So I was discharged um, in November 2019 uh, and I was sent home. And at this point in time, uh, I was uh, directed to a physiotherapist because um, pretty much they said that my cognitive faculties were in order uh, to their perception. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the NHS was not ready to deal with underlying trauma that could have amounted from what happened wow. to me. Wow. Um, because it's not within our Western medical dialogue yes. uh, to address underlying spiritual trauma that happens from these types of events, which is wow. a whole a whole that's, other discussion. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> in itself, right? Yes. Um, however, they said, you know what, if you wanted someone to speak to, here are some options. Um, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to have to go on a conquest myself because um, I got a physiotherapist in whom uh, was supporting me in getting my mobility back. Um, but all I knew was that I needed more help. And so at the beginning of January uh, 2020, uh, I went on a bit of a conquest and started to explore a range of modalities to not only help me cognitively, but also spiritually and physically. Uh, I found an amazing yoga teacher who was also a Reiki master, who I worked with on a weekly basis to help regain mobility in my body, strength in my mind, and also start to work, start to work at the trauma that I had mounted up during this period. Did you feel, because I would imagine this this would be the case, but I just wanted to check with you. Did you feel disconnected from your body? Like, did it take a while for you to really come back in and be fully grounded and present? There's still moments today that I feel disconnected from my body. Yeah. And uh, there's moments that pass where I, 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 I feel part of the void more than the physical. And definitely intensely during that period of time mm. as well and that will that's what made the recovery as interesting as it was challenging because uh, mentally I knew that I could push my body and mentally I was able to really start to track how to recover and so I was working with this yoga teacher um, who was also doing Reiki forms of Reiki on me I did sound bath healing. Mm. I did forms of acupuncture. 
Uh, I did movement coaching to really help with different my mobility and my strength training. Uh, and during this whole period, I was certainly surrounded again by my family of light, my great friends, my great family who were supporting me um, mentally, really giving me the space and the time to just be and recover. And at the beginning of last year, I started to really, really, really double down on my well-being. <laughs> and this is where the, this is where it circles around because I'd spent a lot of years looking after the planet, or at least <laughs> trying, trying to. Yeah. A lot of years um, putting externally directing my energy mm -hmm. in uh, climate change and looking after the environment, which fundamentally are very, very important things. Yes. Um, I, what I realized is if I can't look after my own health mm -hmm. and uh, if I can't look after my own internal sustainability, environment, yeah, yeah my yeah. own internal environment, <laughs> then I'm no good looking after mm -hmm. the world. And there's a really beautiful thing that I realized as well. And it's the fact that the way that we treat ourselves is the way that we treat Mother Earth. And the greater relationship we can have with ourselves, the more that we can look after ourselves intrinsically, this externally then manifests in us looking after the planet. And this is where there's a big disparity mm. between the very high echelons of society, a uh, very governmental level from where I've, where I've seen, um, where they're very externally focused, but they're not looking after themselves. So it's a losing battle. Mother nature is a direct manifestation of the human race. Mm. As long as we're destroying ourselves, we are destroying the planet. And so when that comes down to what we're eating, how we're treating ourselves, how we're treating each other, and the love and energy that we're sharing internally, yeah, that is more important, and that's something which at the very beginning of 2020 I really realised. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we were hit by the pandemic, which yes. is just a direct manifestation of how humans are looking after themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and and now we are all being forced to look inside, look after our health, mm -hmm. look after each other, and make sure that we are healthy and individuals in ourselves. Um, and, and so and you're, yeah. you're so 100% right and everything I've seen and believed and felt and experienced this last year is that every, it all starts within <clears throat> and you know someone said to me the other day that um, the people who are governing the world right now especially in the UK they're all um, like eating schoolboys who <laughs> were abandoned and rejected by their parents you know I'm, I'm sure that's not how they saw it but when you put a child into boarding school and leave them I mean and spending a lot of money on their education and everything like that it's all well intended but a young child like that needs their parents you know mm. um, and so they grow up with certain limiting beliefs which govern how they think about themselves and the world like going back to what you said the people that are looking after us in making decisions about us aren't running very positive belief systems, are they? They're running very negative belief systems. And and is that impacting the decisions that they're making? And I know that is a whole other topic of conversation. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> it, is um, it is an interesting reflection on kind of the lesson that you learned right before the whole world got to learn that lesson mm -hmm. and in a very different way, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. And I I look back at that event and I'm super grateful because death is something in which we're scared of in a way. Um, it's something which 
we're probably programmed to fear when fundamentally it's you know we're all dying (laughs) (laughs) and it was um when i was looking when i was lying in the hospital just thinking about my life as you do um when you might die you start to think about who you spend time with what you spend your life doing and what you want to actually do with yourself um, when it comes to living your life and all i remember was that after i was discharged um, from hospital uh 2020 was a really transformational year in regards to my health because i set out on a challenge <laughs> a very interesting challenge um which was to prove to myself and those around me that no matter where you start with your journey with the right mindset focus and consideration you can really achieve anything and so in april 2020 i entered an ironman competition that was supposed to be completed in october 2020 and i spent three and a half months four months going from someone who was learning to walk to cycling 90 kilometers a day, swimming two, 3,000 meters in an ice cold lake and running half marathons for fun. I think I was a bit crazy. Oh um, my goodness. Uh, and <laughs> by September, 2020, I had become fully prepared to complete an Ironman. And I'd not only exceeded where I was physically prior to my experience, I had become someone and something which I could have never even fathomed I would be able to accomplish physically, mentally, uh, and biologically, because I was doing physical feats, which you probably shouldn't be doing as a human being, um, (laughs) in regards to cycling for six hours, followed by running for four. I don't think that's we're supposed to do that. Um, But all I knew was that I was telling myself, do you know what? If I can do it, then bloody anyone can do it. Because if six months prior, I was in a wheelchair and unable to move my body, and now I am swimming across ice-cold lakes, then, end of the day, we can literally achieve absolutely anything that we set our minds to with the right dedication, practice, and purpose. Anything is really, really possible. I just wanted to prove that to myself and to those around me. Uh, And so, obviously, um, sadly, Ironman Luxembourg uh, was cancelled, and it's resuming this year in June. Okay. Uh, and so I've been having a bit of a winter break, um, but I will get back to training in a few months. Um, but that was a big part of my recovery journey as well. It was, you know, so this, that... is, this is incredible. And I, I, you know, I have experienced trauma as well with the loss of our daughter. And for me, um, wanting to be strong uh, really got me through, but not just. I wanted to be strong for other people. I wanted to show other people that it was possible to, to be strong. And like, that was almost my motivation sometimes. So that, what you did, what you did there kind of resonates with me a little bit. Now I I wasn't off training for marathons by any stretch, Mm. but I was mending my broken heart um, Mm. and communicating about it at the time, I suppose. And, you know, letting people know that I was okay. And, yeah, it's amazing how inspiring others can be an actual big driver for your own healing. 100%. And you know what? I'm, you know, thank you for sharing that about losing your own child. And um, I can only imagine what that must feel like emotionally as well. Mm. And I'm, I'm a strong believer in everything is truly, truly relative. And I, I definitely um, 
can't even comprehend what it must have been like emotionally to go through something like that. And I think I was fortunate because I had surrounded myself with people who really, really believed in me. And I kind of felt like the least I could do was give back in a, in a capacity. And, you know, whether that is, you know, questioning where that might stem from, but I um, certainly acknowledge the fact that all these people believed in me and all these people put me in their prayers at night loved before you. themselves and all these yeah. people really loved me and mm. so I just wanted to not only prove to myself but was more of like a big thank you mm. to the world and to those around me who had supported me to be like thank you so much I'm here I did it I'm back and I'm stronger yeah. than ever and you're the reason that I'm here and thank you so much to those who supported that and to this day, I give gratitude to my close friends and family. Every night, I give gratitude in my heart. Every morning in my gratitude journal, I give gratitude. And my practices are my religion. My daily practices are my religion. And we spoke briefly so about spirituality. Do? Yes. Yeah. So what, what do you do now on a daily basis to kind of keep you strong? Sure, sure. Um, I think first things to say is, I have shit days <laughs> and um, uh, like we all do, we're all yeah. human. Yeah. Um, and I always have to remind myself that, you know, like bad weather, the rain will pass and any bad mood that I face, any woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something's woken up and I've got a heavy mind. I always tell myself, do you know what? You're going to get through this because everything will pass. Nothing is permanent joy is not permanent sadness is not permanent mm -hmm. and the only constant is change and that mantra for me gets me through most days some days i wake up feeling ecstatic i wake i stretch i'm religious to my ice cold showers in the morning we just started them too actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> great <laughs> very good for your mental health yeah um at the beginning of last year well kind of mid last year i started to explore breath work as a modality as a way to really help my brain recover i really started to dive into wim hof uh, and also soma breath work which yes. is all about breathing in beats yeah do you know soma yes I yeah. do. I've done one or two things. Yeah. yeah. Wicked, wicked. So I'm actually a certified Soma breathwork instructor. Oh, wow. Um, so, so for someone who doesn't know what breathwork is, right? Because it, it is just breathing. <laughs> <laughs> On a simple level, it's breathing. But could you explore that for us? Sure. And, you know, I think fundamentally, is it much more than conscious breath? Um, mm. And, you know, breathwork is where you start to breathe in rhythm. What breathing in rhythm does is it starts to uh, control things like your heart rate and your blood oxygen levels. When you start to stabilize your heart rate and your blood oxygen levels, and you start to breathe in rhythm, you start to enter trance states. But the magic really happens when you do things like breath retention. When you're holding your breath for prolonged periods of time, this sends signals to your parasympathetic nervous system, which is used for rest and recover. And so people like Wim Hof and the Soma teachers, what they've realized is if they can trick their bodies and hack into a state of parasympathetic, they can start to recover faster. So when you actually starve your cells of oxygen, 
your body and blood starts to look for more oxygen within your blood. And what happens then is they actually start to recover the cells and activate dormant cells. I call it activated breathwork because actually they start to activate dormant cells. And what's happening here is you're pretty much repairing your body. This fascinated me because I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) I could hack the recovery of my brain and of my body. Yeah, yeah. By getting into my parasympathetic nervous system. So I did become a breathwork instructor and I am very passionate about breathwork. However, what I realized is it's just a practice that I really love to do myself. (laughs) And (laughs) I do breathwork on a daily basis, whether it's five or 20 minutes, there has not been a day that has gone past for the last 365 days, pretty much, where I've not spent at least five minutes just doing conscious deep breath and retention. Some days I'm there for 20, 30 minutes. And this That's is a practice incredible. which I'm religious to. Yeah, it it, it 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 makes me feel high as well. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it makes me feel really high. It's a drug in itself. Like um, it makes you feel really good. And so um my ice cold showers, my bit of breathing. I was a bit of a yogi before I practiced yoga um for since I was about 18, so for about five, four or five years. Um, however, I definitely am stretching and moving my body on a daily basis. These are very important practices, um, as well as then my journaling practice. Every day I check in with myself. Some days it's a few lines, some days it's a few paragraphs, and I just see how I'm feeling, what's going on in my head, what are some things I'm grateful for, and what are some things I want to accomplish today. And at the end of the day, I spend a few minutes just checking out with myself. How was today? Oh, this thing happened. It made me feel like this. And oh, this was this amazing thing happened. It made me feel like this. I realized how much I kept inside of my head (laughs) all the time (laughs) prior to what happened to me. And I realized just the process of five or 10 minutes of conscious writing. I do it on my laptop. It's super easy. But what that is doing, it's a purging, cleansing process for me. And it's these super simple tools which allow me to sleep really good at night, allow me to wake strong, and then just these very small mindful health hacks that are allowing me to stay really stable and, you know, on the path to be living my greatest life. And the thing I always have to remind myself is some days I wake up, I feel, I feel not good. Uh, and, you know, but I'm like, you know what, ladies, if you can just do that five minutes of stretching, just that five minutes of breathing, I can always guarantee that my day will be much better. Because there might be those odd days where I miss it. And I, I'm, I'm just like, you know why? Just, just, just five minutes, ladies. Just do it. Just do it. Just mm. five minutes. And it can change your whole life. <laughs> Just five minutes. Amazing. So to the busy parents and, you know, people who say that they don't have enough time of their day. And I know that you don't have kids and so you kind of don't understand necessarily being woken up at quarter past six. And, and that's it. There is literally your, your, your day starts and you're, you're running like there is no time um, from that point on how and maybe at end end of the day is the time to to do that so how would you 
um, what advice would you give to someone who's like, I just don't, I just don't know how to prioritize myself within my day? Sure, sure, sure. I'm fortunate enough to have two older sisters um, with three kids. Yes, each. So yeah, and good. so all under the ages of seven. models. <laughs> yeah, they are they're amazing women. I'm super grateful, and I've um, what I've witnessed from my experience is that well-being should be a family activity <laughs> and mm -hmm. from what I've learned is with my sisters and what they do um, when they're doing their breath work I used to run sessions last year I said bring the kids along they get the kids breathing if one mm -hmm. of my sisters has a yoga class on she'd get the kids involved come on kids join in join join, join me for the stretch join me for the breathe join me for the walk I think we what I've learned is that when you start to disconnect, oh, this is mummy and daddy's activity, and you know you're a kid. This is kiddie's activity. No, no, there becomes friction. This is my assumption. Mm. What I've observed is when they're saying, "Come join me in this wellness activity. Come join me and actually be part of me doing some really mindful stuff," and vice versa. Mm. I, I've got a very good friend um, and she works in a charity where she helps young ch children get involved with painting, playing as a way to help their, their minds and it helps calm their minds. And she says, yeah, well, get the I get the adults involved as well. You know, just because mm -hmm. the kids are painting, I want to get the adults involved with the painting as well. <laughs> and it's vice versa. Mm. Well, wellness is all around us. And as a busy parent, your kids are painting, making clay. Go join them for five. Go mm. be a go be a child. Yes, <laughs> I love that it. That playfulness is healing. Yeah, and vice versa. And it's like doing... it's grounding and yeah. and present and all the all the good stuff like that. That's exactly. lovely advice. Thank you. Exactly. I, I really um appreciate that, and I can see how that we can start to do that in our own family and I have there has been occasion where I have had a Saturday morning yoga class and I have done it in the living room where the kids are and they just mm. you know come, come in and out and try and jump on me and and as I'm trying yeah. to do things and and stuff but I suppose the best way to model self-care for your children is to sh allow them to see it 100%. Mm. 100% I just don't think sometimes we are we are trying to separate it like you say but if we allow them to see it, then they will do it very naturally themselves as they get older. There'll be no mm. guilt or shame for doing it the way we as a generation, or I certainly feel that, you know, we as a generation may have carried that kind of lack of prioritization as being, um, a, you know, or, or prioritizing yourself as a weakness or, you know, is there should be guilt attached to it. So, yeah, I think that's a lovely flip, isn't it, to kind of just get them involved, let them see what you're doing. 100%, 100%, mm. yeah, definitely. Amazing, thank you. Um, about the power of the brain. So you, you've obviously spent a long time learning about the power of the brain. You've then had a experience that has enabled you to really put that into practice and test and push, I suppose, your limits with the power of the brain. And I think you've done that subsequently. So what would you say to someone who is has gone through a tough time or has felt low or has felt mentally or physically um suboptimal would you would say um where do they start or on, on how 
you know, wh- where do they go from there? Sure. That's a really great, really great question. And I'm a big believer. It all starts with what you're putting inside of your body. And our bodies are temples. And the saying, you are what you eat, is <laughs> um, cannot be more true. And there's a reason that when people are feeling cloggy, mentally unclear, foggy in the mind, distracted, and their diet is full of high processed sugars, franken foods, fake foods, mm-hmm. fast foods, and things that have gone through heavy doses of genetically modified manufacturing, that stuff is not supposed to be in our body. The brain is one big fat organ, 60% fat, the brain. What you eat directly contributes to the cells inside of your brain regenerating. And for me, acknowledging that my diet and the way that I eat and what I eat is the number one health tool I can use to not only support my cognitive function, but physical and biological function. And so to anyone out there, I'd always say, got to look at your diet. Mm. And I know we live in a world of diet propaganda. What diet's the right diet? Mm. My mantra has always been, especially recently, as close to the earth as possible, as whole food as possible, as least ingredients as possible. I try as much veggies, organic, eggs, fish. Some people are plant-based, some people aren't plant-based. I used to be very strong um, vegan for four years. Mm. In the last four or five months, um, I started to introduce fish and eggs back into my diet um, because I was realizing that even with the vegan food world, there's a lot of fake foods and there's a lot of uh, vegan foods in which I don't believe um, biologically are meant for us. And so that's my own personal perception. Mm. I'm not, yeah. a, not, not a nutrition, nutritionist or a dietitian. Um, however, when you look at the history of humanity, you look at the history of evolution of our species, um, we shouldn't be eating things that are fully processed and are full of chemicals. It's just not natural, you know? Mm. And yeah. so my mantra, uh, however you want to kind of take this and those listening is as close to the earth as possible and as whole food possible start with that i can normally guarantee you're going to see immediate results mm. i've just thought something the other day um and i mean a lot of people know this but it's like around the gut and the brain link that is it's just we're not taught about the fact that you know the microbiome elements of our gut and and from our food how important that is to the serotonin levels in the brain I've started to explore the relationship between the second brain, as they call it. Mm. And that is the space within our gut. And what I find really interesting is when someone's feeling anxious, it tends to start in their belly. And there's a direct relationship between the foods that we feed ourselves and the way that our microbiome reacts to these things. Also, there's a huge wave now around things like kombucha, uh, and yeah. foods that feed the gut yeah. because 100% <laughs> there is a correlation between 
um, what we feed ourselves in our belly and that relationship with our brain as well, because they're, they're neurological pathways of connecting our brain and our belly. And so once again, the point around if you're filling yourself with fake processed foods and that's mm. sitting in your gut, it's going to cause mental clogginess because that yeah. stuff is not breaking down. The body's like, what is this alien fake food <laughs> that I'm trying to consume? Well, I don't know what to do. So it's actually going to cognitively slow me down. Yeah. And I'll, I'll share with you, but I, I'm a hundred days alcohol free. Well, Amazing. Two or something at this point. Um, and I've just, I actually feeling the benefits are, I'm feeling the benefits more over time. It's like the toxins are slowly kind of releasing from my body and I'm sleeping so much better and I'm, my mood is better. And, you know, when you think about that link and the toxins that are in, in alcohol, like that, the, I, the clarity that I'm experiencing now and then the, and, and because of that, the more, the more spiritually connected I am feeling because of that mm. and you no, know, it was in my head for nearly two or three years before I actually did it and I had a constant nagging around a, a fear of of doing it to be honest and and still in my head I'm like well I've not given up forever I'm just kind of seeing how it goes and I won't even call it sober because I like I have a thing about the word sober as well so it's, it's mm. just funny the like what you were saying there about what we're putting into our bodies I don't think we realize what we're doing with alcohol as well as food. Mm, super interesting. And, you know, I enjoy a drink now and then, and I don't know whether um, you might have known this, but in 2018, uh, my stepdad passed away. And my stepdad was a severe alcoholic. Oh, right. And he was battling with alcoholism for about five years. And he was very, very, very ill. Uh, I witnessed a man, a very, very lovely man. My father was more my father than my actual father. He brought me up as a child. And his relationship with alcohol turned him into someone that he was not. And, you know, that's not to say that happens with everyone. Uh, my, my, my drink now and then I enjoy thoroughly and it's conscious and it's consumed well and in good company. Uh, however, I've seen the direct effect of alcohol being an actual poison to someone's brain and turning a beautiful, loving man into, you know, for choice of better words, very evil. And so, without a doubt, I think not only alcohol in regards to its biological relationship with us, I think mm. spiritually it can cause a lot of damage as well, especially if you've, um, he had a lot of trauma he hadn't dealt with as a child. Mm. And he was in a very difficult place mentally for many years and so it was more just putting kind of fuel on the fire when it came to drinking um but it certainly didn't help yeah gosh that's very hard to witness certainly mm, and to lose somebody so close like that yeah <laughs> yeah your poor mum has been through the ringer as well hasn't she <laughs> Yeah, she has. Bless her. She's a soldier. She's a soldier. She's, she's definitely, you know, she's, um, you know, she's my angel. She's, uh, she's, uh, you know, in the startup world, we talk about your why and, um, my mother's certainly my why. Why do I, why do I keep going? Why am I here right now? And, um, what are the reasons that I'm still fighting and still, still got big goals, big dreams and big aims? Um, 
just because yeah that woman has not only supported me and given me a life but she's gone through hell and back herself and so uh, it's a big part of my purpose is to support her oh gosh you're making me well up here that's so beautiful <laughs> okay one last question because that that was just fascinating and thank you for sharing everything but my last one is what would you like others to know about their own power wow i think the biggest thing that i've realized and the biggest thing i'd like other people to know is no matter what happens to you in your life no matter where you are now no matter what's happened to you in the past, that fundamentally you have the power and the capability to achieve absolutely anything, to overcome anything, to create abundance. Because the power we all have within ourselves is something we all have the capability to unlock, to tune into and to bring out. It requires us to take courage, and have strength and take a leap of faith. But I'm a big believer in those that are willing to take the big risks the universe follows and supports in their tracks. Mm. And just to know that we are infinite beings designed to be grand. All we need to do is accept it and go with it and follow our hearts. And just the fact that absolutely anything is possible from that. Oh my gosh, that's just amazing. I'm smiling ear to ear understanding and feeling that infinite possibility um and i really hope that everyone else is so inspired by your journey because why else would it happen right (laughs) (laughs) why else would that happen to you if you weren't meant to share this recovery and and what we are capable of with the world Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, oh. it's been lovely. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. It's, oh, been, it's been amazing. It's been so lovely. It's been super nice. It's been good to to feel you, to get to know you a bit better, to have a good chat. And yeah, I'm super excited. Um, whatever, you know, whatever comes of this. And yeah. just gratitude for being here right now. So oh, thank goodness. you so much for having me. Not at all. Um, and is there anything... Oh, we might wrap it up there, but um, if the next part of your journey, so what, what is what is next for you before we finally finish? <laughs> uh, it's um, you know, I'd say people can just stay tuned on my website to <laughs> keep updated with my antics and kind of keep in tune with what my plan is and where I'm going and. Yeah, as mentioned by the beginning it yeah out. yeah yeah and i think something i have to realize is sometimes um in a world of manic doing just being is an act of revolution mm-hmm. and so just reminding myself that as the manifester um human design <laughs> yes um just to try, just to be more do less and just see where that takes me <laughs> exactly it will come it will come and i have no exactly. doubt we'll be seeing you again in many many places thank you so much sarah pleasure well i hope you found that as inspiring as i did um as we recorded back in january Leith has actually had an update and on the 23rd of march he had a routine brain scan which was about 18 months on from 
his aneurysm. It checks how the brain reacts while they flush liquids in while he's in an MRI scanner. And I want to let you listen to his own words now um, about what happened, what the results were and how he feels about it. They did these scans and I was in the hospital from 8am till 8pm and the operation actually took two hours. And what happened during this operation is when they went in, um, they made an incision, they obviously flushed this liquid into my brain and then they had a couple very intense um, brain scans to kind of see what was going on inside my head. Um, But after I finished the brain scans, um, I I remember sitting up and they showed me on these massive screens and the doctor pointed um, at these images of my brain and she said, look, and I said, what? She said, well, the aneurysms dissolved. And I was like, what? And she was like, honestly, this can take normally three to five years, but within 18 months, the aneurysm has fully dissolved in your brain and your basilar artery is fully stable. And I cannot even tell you uh, the way that that felt and the joy that that brought me in that moment. It was um, quite a magical day and it's certainly a recognition and... uh, kind of the outcome of the holistic healing journey that I've been on and the love and care and compassion I've given my brain, my body and my mind over the last kind of 18 months. And so the doctors were incredibly surprised um, and just quite startled because, you know, it can take a lot longer for, for the aneurysm to be in such a state. And so they were very happy with me and I was very happy. And then I spoke to my doctor afterwards and he said, yeah, you can scuba dive and skydive again, all the things that you love to do and obviously that brings me a lot of joy as well and um which was really really positive and so and then actually a couple weeks ago now um after a year um dvla gave me my license back (laughs) and so it's just been an incredibly emotional few weeks of you know the aneurysm dissolving my brain being fully stable and then um finally getting my license back um, which was another huge checkpoint in the recovery journey so yeah that is that is the little update from me. All in all, I'm doing really well, keeping well, looking after my health, um, and just keeping you know keeping going with everything that I've been doing and looking internally and working on the inner um, in order to understand how I can serve the outer as life goes on. So, wow, what an amazing guy! Um, huge congratulations to Leith on his recovery for being so articulate about his journey. And I just know this is going to help so many people. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please share it. I think a lot of people will enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please follow and share this podcast. And before I go, I wanted to tell you about my new Tapping Into Motherhood membership and community. I've created a beautiful space that gives you access to a library of tools that will help you release, heal, ground, love and connect with yourself in your own time and at your own pace. From pre-recorded tapping videos to healing audio meditations to ancestral trauma workshops and downloadable resources covering pre and postnatal topics your mind, body and soul are totally covered and you will find the right tools to support you on your motherhood journey. Plus, you can access a community area where you can share your journey, ask questions and get support. And I'll be offering support too with live tapping circles, Q&A sessions and more. The aim of this is to help you let go of the past, heal your physical and emotional wounds, 
love yourself more, feel so worthy, and to live a more joyful life. To find out more, visit tappingformoms.com forward slash membership. I really hope to see some of you there.